So I'll tell you what, Matt, I mean, you find some of the coolest guests to stop by this podcast. I'm impressed with your abilities to locate the finest quality well, podcast guests. I, I got to tell you, when you're as cool as me, yes. people just like to hang out with you. Well, I'm trying to hope some of your coolness rubs off on me a little bit and just, you know, well, me. you know, Jonathan, as you know, uh, as a, a former VW owner, and yes. I was too, there's something called uh, predictive maintenance, predictive analytics. Oh, I know about the predictive maintenance. Yeah, because <laughs> as, as a bug owner, you knew that you could predict with reasonable uh, surety that uh, every Saturday you're going to be putting a quart of oil in your VW. But that's truly not what this is about. It's not? No. We oh. have with us Ben Lawrence from KCF Technologies. Yeah. Uh, to talk a little bit about his business and his company and how they're uh, enabling manufacturers to leverage data to make smart decisions. On I know. When you were telling me about this, I was really excited because you know me. I get jazzed because I love manufacturing. I love the fact that people still make stuff in this country, for, for crying out loud. When you take advanced technology to make manufacturing better, more efficient, keep breakdowns from happening, like that's where the magic really starts happening. So I can't wait to learn more about what Ben is up to. So Ben, first off, KCF Technologies. What the heck is it exactly? Give us the, the elevator pitch for KCF. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Uh, well, KCF Technologies is a company that almost 20 years ago now spun out of Penn State University. Very cool. Yeah, and we're still right across the street from Penn State. Did and you drive all the way in from Penn State to be on this podcast today? Among other reasons, but okay. let's just, you're special. Okay, so you drove yeah, in just for us. Just for I'll believe uh, that. Thank course. you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, but... One of the little bits of useless trivia about Penn State University is if you are a, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and you want to get an advanced degree in acoustics or vibration engineering, which is a tiny little niche field, Penn State is the only ver- university in the country really? that offers that program. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's some good knowledge, actually. Yeah, if, if that's what you want to do. And it was the department chair from that group at Penn State, along with some of his cherry-picked Ph.D. students, who spun out of Penn State and started this company. And for the first 15 years that we were in business, almost 100% of our revenue came from your tax dollars uh, in the form mm-hmm. of U.S. military research and development. I, mean, I think, honestly, that's so many companies get started that way. I mean, there's such a need there, and it creates those, those channels. Yeah. Well, and the neat thing about the U.S. military is they're always on the cutting edge trying to solve problems that the rest of the world might not have thought to solve yet. Good point. Uh, and it's some of those military projects that over the years have allowed our company within the area of acoustics and vibration to develop technologies that ultimately have commercial application. So we like to say that Uncle Sam is our Shark Tank investor. Very cool. I love it. That's awesome. (laughs) Uncle Sam comes to us and says, we have problems with um, how to make engines quieter, or we have problems with how to monitor the health of all the machines and components on a Black Hawk helicopter. And we need sensors or we need data, we need technology that can allow us to solve those problems and they know that our company is uniquely qualified to do that. But the cool thing about the US military is when we successfully solve a problem for them with your tax dollars, guess who ends up owning all of the intellectual property related to that project? You do. Bingo. Awesome, yeah. dude. And you can take that into the market and solve other problems. That's the goal. Yeah. Uh, and our company's been pretty successful. 
at rounding that corner. So now our federal government work continues at the same rate that it's always been. But instead of being 90% of our company's revenue, it's now less than 5%. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the commercial side has grown. So now we are helping American manufacturing. We're adding employees to our company. We're saving American manufacturing companies a lot of money, which makes Uncle Sam happy because now they're essentially getting reimbursed on the money that they paid us to develop this in the first place. So tell us a little bit of how you're helping manufacturers save money through this technology. Well, you guys know what a Fitbit is? Yeah. I know the Fitbit. <laughs> Absolutely. Know the Fitbit? Yeah, I know oh, yeah. the Fitbit. Man. Yeah. Well, uh, in simple terms, our company manufactures and services a Fitbit for industrial machinery in factories. Ah, so we I like the way you're setting this thing up. All right. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Um, just as a Fitbit monitors your health, if Jonathan is the one who's wearing it. You should see all the steps I take. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, in the same way, we put a essentially a Fitbit uh, on an industrial machine. Uh, is it a big band that goes around that? You got like, <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, about the size of an egg. So it's real small. It's, it's wireless. It's magnetic. You can inst- quote unquote, install it in about three seconds. Just stick it on there. Right. There, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's continuously monitoring the temperature and the vibration patterns that have come off that machine. Ooh. Okay. And what we like to, the way we describe it to our customers in manufacturing is that machines speak. And the language through which they speak is the language of vibration. So a machine will always vibrate when it's running. Think about a pump or exactly. a gearbox. Exactly. It has a rhythm. A motor, a I think about my cars, right? Your like, cars. I know when my yeah. car is sounding sweet. You get the right feel. Are we feel. back on the Volkswagen? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. Right. Well, in that way, uh, that machine, while it's working in a factory, if it begins to get sick, it will vibrate in a different way. It's almost like it's coughing. It's like it's and you coughing. can tell there's something yeah. out there. Yeah. I like that. See? And the people, the geeky engineers out there who really understand vibration, they can look at the vibration signatures that are coming off that machine and they can interpret what the machine is saying. Ooh. The machine might be saying, I have a bad bearing. Uh, I'm a cavitating pump. I have a misaligned drive shaft. You don't I want a misaligned drive gears. shaft. Those are the you worst. You don't want that, yeah. right? So there's a lot of uh, different types of illnesses that machines can begin to form. And when we have a Fitbit or some sort of cutting-edge technology that can continuously monitor that machine and notify us in real time when it's in the very early stages of failure, the implications to a manufacturing company are extraordinary. I can only imagine. I mean, just yeah, I guess because you can schedule your maintenance, right, and shut down as, as as needed, as opposed to shutting down because the machine it exploded. Right, yeah. exactly. At that point, you're like all production stops. Really, yeah. when you can plan for it, then obviously it's less expensive to fix the machine because you're only replacing the one part, as opposed to play other parts that fail. If the bearing goes someplace in the system, it's going to make other things probably go down if it catastrophically fails. And yeah. if you plan for it, you're not losing all your production. You know, you can kind of scale up on another machine or something like that so you keep it seamless wow these are the types of things where people don't realize what goes on behind the scenes to get things made right and the complications and you're making that easy for people by putting this fitbit that just 
yeah. snaps right onto a uh, on, onto a machine and listens to it. Well, wow, that's so cool. From a manufacturer's perspective, you have the cost of replacing or repairing the machine. But the truth is, that's not a big cost. Whoop-de-doo. If you have to replace the motor, $3,000, $30,000. If you're Ford or General Motors, who cares, right? The real cost is the cost of the ensuing downtime. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when that machine breaks and now you can't paint your trucks or assemble your cars or mine your coal or whatever it is that you need to do. You're not making money. You're not making money. And these big companies, a manufacturer can be can lose anywhere between three thousand and fifty thousand dollars a minute. Oh in my loss god. Of production. Wow. I mean that's just that is mind blowing. Yeah. And and you think about how that jams up the supply chain going back because you have stuff that's coming in the door but there's no space for it to come in because you're not producing things to go out the door. So it just it just gums up the machine all the way back then. And prior to some of this technology people were running around with stethoscopes listening to these machines. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. I know it's that's, unbelievable. That's crazy. This one's sounding pretty good. Right. Well that's the best that we had yeah. and there there are some really fancy stethoscopes out there that you can buy and you can hire someone to walk around does it come with a white lab coat to go with it as well too? <laughs> yeah, probably or some headphones exactly I don't know. Uh, but that's a really challenging way to monitor equipment because you might walk up to a machine with your stethoscope and take a reading for 10 seconds once a quarter. Oh, really? So this is, and when you're doing it continuously, you're seeing over time. Exactly. And you can see the anomalies as you. It's probably like a dashboard then, where you can actually see what's going on, and then it'll alert you. Then I would assume when it senses that there's variances that are maybe out of a tolerance or something. Correct. And they self monitor this most of the time, or do some of your clients actually ask you to monitor these systems? Well, let's go back to your Volkswagen. Yeah. So I had Volkswagens too. Excellent. Uh, when the check engine light came on in your Volkswagen, what did you do? Um, put a piece of black tape over yeah, exactly, it. Exactly, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if it, if it, ne- if it ever turned off. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all, all three of us did the same. We just kept driving, right? Like, oh, okay, I'll get to it eventually. We find the same thing in manufacturing, and this is the human, it's part of the human factor. Right, right, right. And, and we don't blame anybody for this, but it's true. When a sensor or a piece of technology tells us as humans that there's something wrong. It's like the check engine light. We look at it and we say, hmm. It's not that serious. Yeah, do it, I, can I really trust that? It's not flashing at me. Right. See, there's no smoke coming out. <laughs> I see. I don't smell anything yeah. burning. <laughs> exactly. Yet. <laughs> uh, so, a lot of what our customers do is they pay us. Essentially, we, we have in Pennsylvania what's essentially a NASA control center. So a big centralized room full of computers and full of engineers who understand machine vibration. And they're monitoring those customers' machines, motors, pumps, gearboxes, whatever it might be. They're monitoring that stuff remotely through the Internet. Oh, cool. Because the Fitbit is transmitting It's all transmitting it out, and you can the then centralize the monitoring of this yeah. and then provide that as a service on top of that. So you sell them the sensor and then the monitoring Just imagine if it. your Fitbit would tell you to put that donut down. I know. Right? <laughs> it's like shaking your hand, yeah. Right? Well, and more importantly, imagine if the Fitbit sent the notification, but imagine if your doctor called you and said, put the donut down. Yeah. See, that's the difference, is when you have 
engineers who understand this technology that can sort through all of those machine alarms or all those donut alarms, and they can really pull out the cherries, the notifications or the check engine lights that are truly legitimate and worth your maintenance team's time. Right, right, right. And then instead of just sending an email or a trigger in the, on your app on your phone, a human picks up the phone and calls you. Like yeah. Bert. Yeah. It's going down if you don't, <laughs> if you don't get to it. That's right. This one's real. This one's Bert, real. Today, you, you're going to be a hero, right? Let's do this. And then Bert goes out and targets that machine and fixes a problem that no one even knew was there in the first place. That's where U.S. Steel, Alcoa, General Motors, Georgia Pacific, Anheuser-Busch, these are all customers, but those are the companies that win. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it comes down to... We have the products we need, and when we need them, the prices stay where they're supposed to be because we're not, you know, paying for things that are backed up and and uh, having lost production and everything. I mean, to me, that's just amazing. Like this is why it's so much fun to do this podcast series because we're talking to guys like Ben over here that are just doing things we never knew were going on, but are so important to the functioning of our manufacturing. So ben, you you just referenced the human element, right? Having somebody kind of make that phone call to you, but when you presented at the Digital Bridge Conference, you brought up a different aspect to the human element. So when small to medium-sized manufacturers are looking at these new technologies to leverage, whether it's Internet of Things or the vibrative sensors, things like that, um, making sure that the individual contributors out on the floor are are part of the process, part of the solution. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, I'm glad you asked about that. That's a really important piece of this. So right now in the American manufacturing sector, the industrial Internet of Things is a really hot term, or Industry 4.0. And if we go to those conferences or start reading the articles, there is a four-letter word that comes up all the time. And I don't know if it's a good or bad I don't want to guess what that four-letter word is. This is a PG podcast. (laughs) The four-letter word is data. Data is really important, and engineers and people who are really good with computers get really excited about data. Absolutely. If you go to Silicon Valley and you ask about the industrial Internet of Things or advanced manufacturing, it's all about data. But there's a huge misconception and a pitfall, I would say a blind spot, that we find, we're hearing a lot of our customers are finding as they're out there trying to implement new technology and industrial Internet of Things stuff. And the challenge is they think that the solution is as simple or complicated, but that the solution is really about spending a whole bunch of money on technology and computer processing. So the whole idea is, okay, I'm going to go out into my manufacturing center and I'm going to put sensor Fitbits all over the place. And these Fitbits are going to send all the data into a big giant IBM Watson supercomputer, right? And the computer, along with some data analysts, they're going to sit there and they're going to crunch all the data. And a few weeks later, bing, there's magically going to appear the optimal settings on how to run your factory. The recipe book will come from the computer, right? It's like not so simple. <laughs> <laughs> well... It's, it's not so simple. You're right, Jonathan. Yeah. And, and the challenge is what happens is these companies spend huge amounts of money on the sensors, huge amounts of money on the supercomputers, and huge amounts of money on the data analysts 
that are going to crunch the data. And ultimately, the computer will come out with a recipe on how to run your factory. But there's a huge barrier to this, Matt, which you alluded to. And the barrier is the person who's most important at the factory. Want to guess who that is? First guy on the floor. Guy on the floor. It's the shop floor worker. The shop floor worker is the frontline, bleeding edge, make or break employee in that factory that's going to decide whether to trust the data, implement the data, and believe the data. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And stay consistent with it as well, too. So if you go to implement, to actually do it. Right. So the pitfall or the barrier that we see is that a lot of manufacturing companies. They are not involving their shop floor employees as part of this transformation. There is a place for data. There is a place for supercomputers. But if we're not engaging those shop floor employees in pulling from them what they think best practices are, if we're not running experiments to really help them understand what the optimal settings are, in the long run, we find that manufacturing companies lose makes total sense. you got to keep that human element to it. Despite all the technologies in the world, it still yeah, comes down you to know, people. I was just reminded of a story the other week about a company that uh, the engineers came up with a, an adjustable titanium wrench for a, a piece of equipment. And they spent about $5,000, I think that number was. It's a heck of a wrench. Yeah, I know. But by the time they got it out to the floor and gave it to the individual uh, contributor or the the process owner of that that equipment, he took one look at it and said, it's not going to work. It's too long. (laughs) And they found out as soon as they tried to use it, it was too long. too long. And they had to cut it in half. So, I mean, that's the so kind of thing. That it became it, a you, having, these guys, right. having, having people, you know, I keep saying guys, anybody that's working on the exactly. floor that's part of the process to be a contributor to that, right? Yeah. To, to give ideas and information as to how you can use this technology to make things work better. Absolutely. I have uh, Switching gears just a little bit, I was curious. So as you're collecting all this data as to how different types of machines run, you're, you're monitoring them 24-7, you know their vibration patterns. Are you sending that data back to the manufacturers of those machines so they can get an idea as to how they can improve their machines, knowing that at 3,000 hours you tend to get a bearing wobble or something yeah. like that? And they can say, hey, we can actually put a ceramic bearing in here next time and it will yeah. prolong that. So that there's, there's an angle yeah, there. That's too. the predictive right. maintenance yes. aspect of it, right? There is a piece to that. And you know, here's when it comes to the the OEM, the original equipment manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm. They are fascinated with the data that we pull from these machines out in the real world. The reason they're so fascinated is a lot of the equipment manufacturers, when they test their machines, where are they doing it? It's in a lab. It's clean. Yes. They're not in the setting where the humidity is fluctuating, where there's heat coming off of yeah. another process or something like that. Right. So they're seeing real-world data that exactly. they could never get unless they're using your sensors. And, and what they find is that shop floor workers are very creative, mm-hmm. right? And they find ways to run these machines and push them to their max way beyond what they <laughs> like, ever I can't believe they're doing this to our precious <laughs> machines. <laughs> So we find when when an OEM can derive that real-world data and really understand how you actually drive your Volkswagen, they can go back and make design enhancements that accommodate that. Yeah. That's like the difference between a simulation or a digital twin, right? That you're actually putting real data out of your system so that you can create a, a digital footprint footprint to show how it's working that to me is so exciting you have a company that does this give us more details about the company how many people work there you're, you're, yeah. you're based out in penn state you're growing yeah. i'm assuming you're probably hiring like crazy what, what, what's happening over there at kcf well shameless plug if we any, like shameless plugs any here engineers with social skills that are looking 
looking for an exciting oh, place to work. Well, tough luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, we are hiring as quickly. You're as looking we for can unicorns as well, yes. right? <laughs> How about some part-time podcast hosts? We can fill in. Sure, right? why not? Right. <laughs> uh, but we really do feel fortunate. Uh, our company is doubling to tripling in size wow, every year. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, that's been going on now for about five years. Uh, we're one of the fastest growing technology device companies in the country. Yeah. And what we like to say in in, in State College, which is called Happy Valley, right? Mm-hmm. But we like to say that we are up against Silicon Valley and we're going we're taking on Silicon Valley and proving to them that we can do it in Happy Valley. Excellent. And what we like to we can do it without venture capital, without debt. Yeah, you have customers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so we're privately held, um, and we the only money that we earn to reinvest into the company is money we earn from customers. So, that so far makes for a, so that makes for a solid great. solid company. Anything else you're thinking about? Man? No, I think we pretty wow. much covered. I'm yeah. just fascinated. I just think this is so cool. That's why I love doing this podcast because we're talking to the coolest men and women running the coolest companies out there. So, man, we can't thank you for taking the time. You got to get back to work. You're growing like crazy. <laughs> you got other things to do, right? Yeah, lots on our plate. <laughs> but uh, Matt and Jonathan, thank you so much for hosting us. We're really grateful to be partnered with you guys and cheering for American manufacturing. Let's do it. I love it, man. Great stuff. Thanks, Ben.